0: I'm Les Chapman, senior minister here at the Hendersonville Church of Christ, and I want to welcome you to our second lesson in a series that we've entitled My Town. This summer, various speakers will be basically trying to answer one simple question. How do we love our neighbors better, especially here in Hendersonville, in my town, in your town? Last week I joined with Tony and John Micah and Stan as we kind of introduced this subject and talked about how we would be presenting it this summer. My job in lesson two is simply to look at what Jesus said about the way we're supposed to love our neighbors. And of course, there's no story in the Gospels more about neighbors than the story found in Luke chapter 10 called the Good Samaritan. Now, this is a story that many of you have heard over and over again. And it would be easy simply to turn off the, uh, the lesson and to say, you know, I've heard this. I'm not going to learn anything new in this lesson. I hope you won't do that. I hope that you'll listen with a different ear than perhaps the way you've listened in the past. One of the things that I have enjoyed recently is a discipline, it's a spiritual discipline, that helps you to see Scripture very different than you have perhaps in the past. You know, a lot of us, when we read the Bible, we read simply for information. We're looking for the facts that the Bible lays out there, and then we try to figure out how to apply those facts. There's another way to read, especially the narrative portions of the Bible, and it's called imaginative reading. And basically what you do is you read a text, but instead of looking for the facts contained in the story, you put yourself in the story. You try to imagine yourself as one of the characters of the story. You, you smell it. You feel it. You sense what's going on as, as this story is taking place. And I want to invite you, as we begin this study of the Good Samaritan, to do just that. To do an imaginative hearing as I do some reading. I want to read from two texts. You know, the text of the story of the Good Samaritan begins in Luke chapter 10, verse 30, and the actual parable goes to simply verse 35. Six verses. That's all it takes for Jesus to tell this profound story. Now, what I want to invite you to do is very simple. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to imagine traveling from Jerusalem Jerusalem, to Jericho. If I could just kind of help you with that. Uh, that's about a 20-23 mile journey. Uh, it would have been back then a journey over a very winding road. Uh, Jerusalem was up in the mountains of Judea. Jericho is way down in the Jordan Valley. I mean, you're dropping in elevation tremendously as you go from Jerusalem down to Jericho. But you're also moving from an area that has a lot of trees and grass. It's quite green around Jerusalem. But as you move to the east, especially the southeast, it turns very brown very quickly. And as you move down those mountains, it becomes almost desert. And so imagine, if you can, yourself in this story Jesus is telling of the Good Samaritan. And so I'll be reading first from the voice. And so if you could just close your eyes and picture yourself in this story. This fellow was traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho when some robbers mugged him. They took his clothes, beat him to a pulp, and left him naked and bleeding and in critical condition. By chance a priest was going down that same road and when he saw the wounded man he crossed over to the other side and passed by. Then a Levite, who was on his way to assist in the temple also came and saw the victim lying there and he too kept his distance. Then a despised Samaritan journeyed by When he saw the fellow, he felt compassion for him. The Samaritan went over to him, stopped the bleeding, applied some first aid, and put the poor fellow on his donkey. He brought the man to an inn and cared for him through the night. The next day, the Samaritan took out some money, two days' wages to be exact, and paid the innkeeper, saying, Please take care of this fellow, and if this isn't enough, I'll repay you next time I pass through. Think for a moment. There's not a lot of characters in the story. Jesus' parables very often contain just two or three characters. You have the man who is robbed. You have the robbers. We don't know how many. You have a priest who comes walking by, followed by a Levite. We'll say more about them in a few moments. You have a Samaritan. And you have an innkeeper. When you do imaginative reading, you, you place yourself in one of those characters' roles. And you try to imagine what it was like. And of course, if you really want to examine the story, you go back over it again and again. Each time, placing yourself in a different character's position. I would like to read the text one more time, this this time from the Passion Translation. Both the voice and the Passion Translation are more recent paraphrases that try to catch the story, the ancient story, in more modern language. So once again, I'd like to ask you simply to close your eyes, put yourself in one of the positions of the characters, and then experience the story. Listen, and I will tell you, there was once a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho when bandits robbed him along the way. They beat him severely, stripped him naked, and left him half dead. Soon a Jewish priest walking down the same road came upon the wounded man. Seeing him from a distance, the priest crossed to the other side of the road and walked right past him, not turning to help him one bit. Later, a religious man, a Levite, came walking down the same road and likewise crossed to the other side to pass by the wounded man without stopping to help him. Finally, another man, a Samaritan, came upon the bleeding man and was moved with tender compassion for him. He stooped down and gave him first aid, pouring olive oil on his wounds, disinfecting them with wine and bandaging them to stop the bleeding. Lifting him up, he placed him on his own donkey and brought him to an inn. Then he took him from the donkey and carried him to the room for a night. The next morning he took his own money from his wallet and gave it to the innkeeper with these words, Take care of him until I come back from my journey, and if it costs more than this, I will repay you when I return. Can I ask you again the simple question, who are you in the story? And then to complicate it a little bit more, let me ask this question, who was Jesus? Jesus. I think when we get to the end of this lesson, maybe you'll rethink that last question. Again, this story is found in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 10. Jesus is approached by an expert in the law, and and he's testing Jesus. And this is not necessarily negative in nature. He just wants to know what this rabbi really believes, because Jesus Jesus was gaining in popularity tremendously at this time. Teacher, he asked, very likely an Aramaic rabbi, rabboni, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you read in Luke's gospel as well as in the book of Acts, you'll find that this is a very common question. In fact, just a few chapters later in Luke chapter 18, a ruler, a certain ruler, this would have been a preacher at a local synagogue. They were called the synagogue rulers. And so a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The exact same question. And I suspect Jesus answered that question many times because that's what Jesus was preaching about eternal life, everlasting life. Jesus' response in this particular instance was what was written in the law? How do you read it? And what's interesting about this particular individual is I think he had listened to Jesus preach before because Jesus oftentimes spoke about what was most important if we want to keep God's commandments. And so he responded, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if this sounds familiar, it sounds familiar for a reason. The last week of Jesus' life, Jesus was tested while he was in Jerusalem. And an expert in the law, a Pharisee, came up to him. And notice the question he asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, we discussed this last week in our introductory lesson. And Jesus' response was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, quoting Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19 18. And Jesus explained why those are important. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. If you recall last week in our introduction lesson, Stan talked about how that you cannot love your neighbor unless you first love God. And that even in the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments focus first on our love for God. You shall have no other gods before me. And you don't make a graven image for yourself. You don't take the Lord's name in vain. And you take one day out of the week to observe a Sabbath so that you can think about God. I mean, the commandments begin with a focus on God. And then they move to others. Honor your, your mother and your father, your parents. You don't kill. You don't steal. You don't commit adultery. I mean, you don't bear false witness or covet. In other words, if you love God, you love your neighbor, you'll be keeping all the commandments anyway. And so when this man answered that question that way, Jesus' response was, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. I can't help but wonder if this expert in the law had heard Jesus preaching. You see, we sometimes may think that Jesus would preach a different sermon every time he preached in synagogues. My guess is he didn't. In fact, I suspect Jesus had a very consistent message. And Peter and Andrew and James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, must have heard over and over and over again the importance of loving God in your neighbor. You see, I think it was probably Jesus' preaching that transformed James and John from sons of Baraginus, sons of thunder, when they wanted to call fire down from heaven to destroy a Samaritan village into the apostle of love. You see, you hear something long enough, it finally sinks in. I suspect it did in their lives but notice verse 29 in Luke 10 but he wanted to justify himself so he asked Jesus who is my neighbor now of course Luke already shows us something about this individual he wanted to justify himself he wanted to make sure he was getting it right who's my neighbor Boy, was Jesus going to surprise him. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jesus did something immediately that Jesus often did, which was simply to tell a parable. You see, parables are these strange stories that that Jesus would tell. They're very short stories. They're stories about ordinary, everyday events. But in the story, Jesus would do something amazing. He would catch you up into the story. And then at the end, oftentimes, there was a twist. A way of making you really examine what you were were seeking, after all. Jesus often spoke in, in parables. In fact, the apostles one time, after Jesus had spent a whole day speaking to the crowds in parables, asked, Lord Why do you tell so many parables? And here was Jesus' response in Matthew 13, one of the great parable chapters of the Bible. Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. And then he quotes from Isaiah 6. Now, you probably know more about isaiah 6 than you realize isaiah 6 is that incredible uh call of isaiah where he sees this vision of god in the temple and he sees seraphim surrounding god and and they're crying out holy 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 is the lord god almighty one of the angels goes after isaiah proclaims that he's a sinful man among a sinful people And this particular angel takes a coal from the altar and puts it to Isaiah's lips and makes atonement for his sins. And then Isaiah is sent to the people. But right off the bat, there's this statement about Israel. Though seeing, they do not see. And though hearing, they do not understand. And that's what Jesus said was going on in his day. The apostles, they were listening. And Jesus was trying to help them to understand. But many in the crowd, Pharisees, Sadducees, experts in the law, could care less. They were there to try to catch Jesus in his own words. And so Jesus spoke in parables so that those who wanted to understand could. Oftentimes the apostles would come to Jesus later on and would simply say, Lord, could you explain that parable in more details to us? And we read Jesus actually doing that. And so here Jesus tells this parable. And basically the question is, will the expert in the law get it? A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and, and went away, leaving him half dead. As I mentioned a few moments ago, and here's kind of a picture of the topography of of Judea. Uh, Jerusalem was way up in the Judean hills, way above sea level. Mediterranean Sea was out to the west. Directly to the east was what was called the Jordan Valley. It's the lowest spot on the earth. It's way below sea level, but because of the mountain range, the waters can't get to it. And of course, at the very bottom of the Jordan Valley is a lake called the Dead Sea. And it is dead. It is so salty, nothing can live in it. About a little over two years ago, I got to visit the Dead Sea and literally float in the waters. One of the things they warned us when we went to get into the water is, Don't get it into your eyes. And there were literally stations all along the banks for you to wash your eyes in case you did. And so it was a, a journey that was downhill all the way down to Jericho. About uh, 20 miles or so, maybe a little over 20 miles, and and it was very dangerous terrain. There were a lot of hills, a lot of valleys, a lot of places for robbers to hide. It was a very deserted area. Here's a picture, literally, of the road going up into the Judean hills. Now, as you get around Jericho, it's very much desert-like. But as you would ascend up toward Jerusalem, it would become greener and greener until by the time you got to Jerusalem, there were trees and grass and a very beautiful uh, hill setting for the city there that the temple was located at. But it was very dangerous. Robbers oftentimes hid in the shadows. So Jesus tells a story that would have been very familiar to anyone. Most of the time, people who travel would travel in groups. Now, The story goes on to tell us that very quickly a priest happened to be going down the same road. Now, whether the priest is going up to Jerusalem to serve at the temple or, or leaving Jerusalem to go back home, perhaps in Jericho, we don't know. That's why imaginative reading is so important. Jesus left it up to us to determine where he was coming from or where he was going. The main thing Jesus wanted everybody to see is that it was a priest. Now the priests were a special group of people in ancient Israel. They were chosen from the family of Aaron, Moses' brother, who was his spokesman when he went down to Egypt in order to set the Israelites free. God chose Aaron's family to be the priest who was served at first at the tabernacle and then later at the temple there in Jerusalem. Eventually, they would be divided up by David into 24 different family units, and they would serve for a period of time, a couple of weeks, and then they would go back home for the rest of the year. Now, their responsibility was very simple. They were to help with sacrifices and taking care of the worship there at the temple. They would go into the holy place. And, and, and replace the, the bread that was placed on the table there in the holy place. They would go in in order to trim the wicks, in order to burn incense. And then outside, they would offer the sacrifices, literally thousands and thousands of them, especially during the, the religious festival days. It's estimated that tens of thousands of lambs would be sacrificed during Passover. And it was the priest who had all come together for those special holy days in order to serve there at the temple. These were the people who were supposed to have been the closest to God. But Jesus tells a very different story. The priest comes by, and when he saw the man, and boy, you know how to fill in the gap. When he saw the man, I mean, here he is, serving in the presence of God, offering sacrifices on on the altar, burning incense inside the temple, listening to the praise of of those in the choir. I mean, a man who should represent God more than anyone else. And yet, the text says, when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now, why? Did he pass by on the other side? Once again, imaginative reading. Was he on his way to Jerusalem? And and priests had to make sure they stayed clean ceremonially. And if this man was close to death, if he had gone over to him and he had died, he would have been unclean. If he was trying to take care of him and had touched him, you see, touching a dead body made you unclean. And as a priest, it meant you didn't serve in the temple. Or was he on his way home? Had he been to Jerusalem to serve and is he in a hurry to get back home for some reason? Is he afraid that robbers are still around? Waiting for someone to help the man only to spring out from behind the rocks and to beat him up and rob him as well? Or perhaps he simply didn't want to get involved. He was too busy. His life was what mattered. Not someone else's life. Boy, does that ever cause us to think in the world that we live in today. Jesus goes on very quickly and says, So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him. The Levites were the tribe that the priest came from. Moses and Aaron were both Levites. And the Levites' job were to take care of the temple complex. They didn't go in the temple to offer worship to God. But they did go in the temple to repair things. They were the workers. They were the ones who brought the wood in, who helped build the fires, who made sure there were plenty food in the temple complex for the priest. They were the ones who moved the tabernacle back when the tabernacle existed. That was the responsibility of the Levites. Now, the Levites are an interesting group of people. You know, we we talk about the 12 tribes of Israel. And as far as land was concerned, there were just 12 tribes. But what we oftentimes fail to remember is that one tribe was taken and God made them his tribe. That was the Levitical tribe. And then Joseph was divided into two tribes through his two sons. And so in reality, there were 13 tribes, 12 that owned land and one that was scattered in various cities throughout Israel. That's the Levitical tribe. And by the way, their job not only was to serve at the temple and to keep it in in good shape, they were also to teach and to preach throughout the villages of Israel. So here was a man who, next to the priest, he's probably closer to God or should have been than anyone else. And yet the text says that when he saw him, He, too, passed by on the other side. Why? Jesus doesn't tell us. Once again, leaves it to our imagination. Perhaps the same reason that the priest passed by. Perhaps a different reason. But he passed by. And he showed the man no pity. And then Jesus says, but a Samaritan. The Samaritans were... Jewish people who had been part of Israel. You know, after the time of David, the kingdom of God split. Split between the Jews, uh, Judea in the south, and Israel in the north. Israel would eventually be carried off into captivity, but not everyone was carried off. Some of the Israelites were left in the north, and the Assyrians moved Gentiles in to live among those that were left behind. And so these Israelites and these Gentiles intermarried and therefore they became known as the Samaritans. Jews who lived in the south considered them half-breeds. And of course the Samaritans worshipped the God of Israel. They, They in fact built a temple on Mount Gerizim because they refused to go to Jerusalem. You may res- res- remember the story of Jesus's conversation with the woman at the well, who was a Samaritan, who asked Jesus, where should we worship, in Jerusalem or here on Mount Gerizim? And so the Jews regarded the Samaritans as an unclean people, not quite as unclean as Gentiles, but almost as much. And because that they, they worshipped up on Mount Mer- Gerizim, they considered them heretics And therefore, they looked down on them. And so when Jesus, in telling the story, talked about a priest and a Levite and then a Samaritan, it caught the people's attention. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Instantly, you're you're paying attention. Jesus has caught you. He goes on to describe it. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Now, if that wasn't already enough, I mean, no regard to his own safety. I mean, he placed the man on a donkey. We don't know how far down that 20, 21, 22, 3 mile stretch he was. But how far did he walk? As this man rode on the donkey as he went to the inn. The next day, he took out two denarii. A denarius uh, was a day's wages. Pluriform is denarii. And so this man takes out two days' wages. I don't know how much you make in a day. You take your weekly or your monthly salary and you go back and you divide it up, and I suspect it's more than you realize. This man took two days' salary. Gave it to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. And then he says, And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. And the story is over. Jesus now turns to the expert in the law. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And of course, the man's trapped. He can't say the priest, the Jewish priest. He can't say the Levite, the Levite priest. And so surely he'll say the Samaritan. But you know, he can't even bring himself to say that. He responds to Jesus, the one who had mercy on him. You see, his hatred for the Samaritans wouldn't even allow him to mention their name. And that was the whole point of what Jesus was trying to say. Who is your neighbor obviously the man who'd been beaten up, but also this Samaritan, because this Samaritan was the one who was a neighbor to someone who needed help. And so Jesus simply told him, go and do likewise. Now, I want to ask you a question. Who is the man who fell among the robbers? You see, he's not identified. And I wonder if Jesus didn't identify him for a reason. You have the Samaritan. You have the Levite. You have the priest. You have the innkeeper. They all kind of have an identity. But this man doesn't. He simply is a man who suffers because of evil people. I want to suggest to you that perhaps we need to go back and listen to something Jesus once said. This is the last week of his life. And it's basically a judgment parable. Jesus then says to those on his left, all the nations have been brought before Jesus. They've been divided, the sheep from the goats. And he says to those on his left, who are evidently the goats, depart from me, you who are cursed, and to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. Their response was, Lord, when did we ever see you this way? And here's Jesus' reply. Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. And so if we go back to the question, Who is the man who was robbed? Perhaps we need to see him as Jesus and then ask the question, would that change the way we would have responded in the story? You see, this week, I want to challenge you to do something. As we continue to explore, how can we love my town and your town better? I want to invite you this week to try and see Jesus In others, but not just in others, but especially the ones you simply want to pass by on the other side. Maybe it's somebody at work that you don't like. Maybe it's a neighbor who's been giving you a hard time. Maybe it's someone in your family you've become estranged from. You see, it's time that we begin to see Jesus in the faces of others. And I'm convinced that if we saw others as Jesus, perhaps it would change the way we treat everyone. You know, we're living in a time here in our nation where there's a lot of conflict. And it has to do with the way people treat one another. The way to make Hendersonville a better city is to practice the second command, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful story. Story about who is our neighbor. Father, may we not just read through it flippantly, but may we pause, imagine, and then more than that, seeing the one hurting on the side of the road, the face of Jesus, and respond the way Jesus would want us to respond. Bless us this week. May we see in the faces of others the face of Jesus and so serve Him. We pray in His name. Amen. Thank you for joining us and may God bless you this week.